God. You threw the whole world a curveball. When you showed us a kind of hope we'd never thought to look for. Born of poverty, between the walls of a rickety barn and into the fragile arms of a nervous young mom, Jesus arrived unable to defend himself, much less anyone else. We'd been hoping for security, and you gave us a baby. And then the expectations kept being shattered. Jesus healed those who could do nothing for him. He handed out hope to people the world turned away. Jesus showed us a new way of life, a life that works from the inside out. Hope lives with us, then inside us, and moves from our hearts into the world. Jesus gave us hope beyond this life, hope no one else has to give, hope that shows up in a manger as a gift we don't deserve, but we gratefully receive. We call him Jesus. He is Emmanuel, God with us. Amen. Is my mic on? There we go. If you have a pen with you, if you're a note taker, I want you to write the following down. Kids that are in here, elementary students, listen carefully. This is important. The amount of success you have tomorrow, the amount of success you have tomorrow can be determined oftentimes by the amount of hope you have today. You see, hope is one of the greatest indicators of tomorrow's success. You don't believe me? Elijah, my 17-year-old, plays hockey. Last year played for a terrible team. You guys have heard lots of illustrations about that. But it was funny early in the season, the same group of kids would go out there in the first and second period in the first half of the season and play pretty well and keep it pretty close. Once the game was out of hand, it seemed like everything went south and, and the ice became tilted and the other team scored more and more and more. By the end of the season, they came out on the ice knowing it was going to happen. Same group of kids, same skill, same referees, same everything. Just one thing was different. The amount of hope that they had. We see it in sports all the time, right? When a game gets out of hand, players start taking dumb penalties. They don't play nearly as hard as they did at the beginning of the game. It doesn't matter what sport that we're talking about. We see it on a regular basis. The same is true, by the way, in your professional life and in your relational life. There's nothing more sad to see than in a marriage where there is no more hope for a better tomorrow. Nothing more sad to see than when a parent loses hope in their child. Hope today is one of maybe the single greatest indicator of success tomorrow, regardless of the endeavor that we're talking about. I tell you that because, listen, this is incredibly important for us to understand. You take two people identical in every way, the same background, the same story, the same hurts. One of those people may be successful somehow and the other not. Why is that? 
I believe it's because of an outlook, a hopeful outlook. You see, hope is that thing that keeps our engine running in so many times. When the chips are down, when things are difficult, hope for a better tomorrow helps us to fight on. Maybe think about a situation that you faced in your life. Maybe there's been an illness where you beat all odds. And yes, we give glory to God. We believe that He does amazing things. But what if you have no hope in God? What if you have no hope in a better tomorrow? How useful do you think you'll be today? Hope is important. Hope is important. Our church has done a very good job at looking to bring hope to people in difficult situations. We have something called a deacon fund. We've talked about this with some regularity over the last few weeks. Now, we haven't taken an offering for this for a, for a long time because of your generosity, but free commercial, we are going to do a retiring offering today for our deacon fund. But, but what I want to tell you is what we've seen happen this year, the deacons have been able to disperse these funds to give people hope. People who have no other option. People who feel like they're out of resources in so many ways. You, the church, come in and provide hope for a better tomorrow that helps them fight on and continue moving forward. Every one of us has been in a situation that has felt desperate. Every one of us has been in a situation where we felt like, I don't know what I'm going to do. Hope. Hope. You need hope in your life. My prayer today is you walk out of here with more hope than you came in here with. Because I believe it is so incredibly important for your relationships, for your professional life, and for your spiritual walk with God. Because friends, if you're in a spot where you have stopped trusting in God, that you have stopped hoping for a better tomorrow, that you stop believing that he has good things for you in your life, you are hopeless and tomorrow's going to be hard. If you come in here regardless of your circumstances going, you know what? I know it's tough. I know what I'm going through is really hard right now, but I have hope because I believe in Jesus, the one who defeated death, the one who defeated sin, the one who came down here from heaven to earth Emmanuel God with us I have hope that he is present with me in my times of trouble I have hope that he has a plan for my life regardless of what it looks like right now if you have that kind of hope you are a dangerous Christian and my prayer for you today is that you walk out of here inspired with more hope than you came in here with that's my prayer for you today we are in a series, and if you look closely in this series, you'll find, I think, incredible amounts of hope. The series, and this is the last week of the series, and there's a little bit of a, a bridge into our next series, but our series is Jesus and the Seven Feasts. We have these seven feasts that happen in the Old Testament, and I'm going to take a, uh, just a moment for a quick review of where we've been so far. By the way, the first Four of these feasts happen in the springtime. We haven't really talked about the timing of these uh, very much, but the first four happen in the springtime, the last three uh, in the fall. But the first one was the Passover. Our Old Testament significance, if you remember, was redemption of the children of Israel out of the bondage of Egypt. Uh, the New Testament significance in this was believers in, in Christ redeemed from the bondage of sin, passed over uh, by God because of the blood of Christ. 
The second feast of unleavened bread uh, uh, connected very closely to the Passover. The Old Testament significance is purging the leaven out of their homes, with the New Testament uh, significance being cleansed from sin, walking in the newness of life. And then we on to the Feast of first fruits. the Old Testament significance being thanksgiving from the harvest of the first fruits of the harvest, the New Testament significance, Christ, the first to rise from the dead, giving us hope in our own resurrection. And then the Feast of Pentecost, the Old Testament significance was the ingathering of that first harvest. A new significance, or I'm sorry, a New Testament significance was the coming of the Holy Spirit and the birth of the church. Moving on into the fall in the, um, in the feasts. All of these three are connected very closely, by the way. The Feast of Trumpets, Old Testament significance was a solemn assembly when trumpets are blown to prepare for the Day of Atonement. New Testament significance is the rapture of the church and the return of Christ. That's what it's pointing to. And then on to the Day of Atonement, which I wrongly said last week. I'll admit when I'm wrong, when you tell me, but it's going to be a lot, all right? I said this was the third of the three pilgrimages. I was actually wrong. The Feast of Booths is the third of the three, and we'll get to that in just a moment. But they're only separated for by about four days. So likely they were, I'm going to try to make an excuse for being wrong. Likely they were in town. Day of Atonement, the Old Testament significance. Solemn assembly for repentance and forgiveness under the law. New Testament, believers in Christ forgiven by the one atonement for all time. Not an annual event, but a one-time event. And then today, the Feast of Booths. It's a harvest celebration, a memorial of tabernacles in the wilderness from when the children of Israel were wandering in Egypt for all of those years after God had rescued them from bondage uh, there. The New Testament significance is God offers hope by dwelling with man. God offers you hope by his presence. We're going to pray and then we're going to look closely, or I'm sorry, quickly at Leviticus 23. Would you join me in prayer? Dear Heavenly Father, we just thank you for this day. I'm going to pause real quick. Sorry, guys, look up at me. Um, as I'm about to pray, I, I need to pray for Tim Jolly. He's our director um, uh, of children's ministry, a pastor in residence down there. He's actually hospitalized right now, um, and he's talking to a surgeon today with some um, abdominal issues that he has, and he's been in a lot of pain. So would you, I'm going to add that into this here. God, just, uh, uh, first we just lift up Tim to you. We pray for his healing, for his comfort, for this meeting with the surgeon, God, that all would go well. They'd be able to quickly figure out what's going on and provide relief and healing. God, for our time together today, may your spirit speak in and through me, that we may all leave here closer to you having more hope for tomorrow than we came in with. We love you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Leviticus 23, verses 33 through 36. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the people of Israel, saying, On the fifteenth day of this seventh month, and for seven days is the feast of booths to the Lord. On the first day shall be a holy convocation, and, shall, and you shall do no ordinary work. For seven days you shall present food offerings to the Lord. On the eighth day you shall hold a holy convocation and present a food offering to the Lord. It is a solemn assembly. You shall do no ordinary work. Now, why would that be? 
It sounds very similar over the last seven weeks of what the feast would look like. There's typically there's sacrifice, there's there's holy convocation, there's there's these gatherings, there's all of these things. But this one's this one's unique. And you're gonna come and you're gonna camp out with us for seven days. Doesn't that seem a little bit odd? You may be wondering, what is the purpose of going to Jerusalem and living in a tent for a week? Uh, like the other feast, it is tied to something that the children of Israel needed to remember and pointed to something that was yet to come. To see that, let's go ahead and look at Numbers 9, 15 through 23. What is it that they needed to remember? The text says this, on the, on the day that the tabernacle was set up, the cloud covered the tabernacle, the tent of the testimony. And at evening it was over the tabernacle like the appearance of fire until morning. So it, always, so it was always, the cloud covered it by day and the appearance of fire by night. And whenever the cloud lifted from, the, from over the tent, after that the people of Israel set out. And in the place where the cloud settled down, there the people of Israel camped. At the command of the Lord, the people of Israel set out, and at the command of the Lord, they camped. As long as the cloud rested over the tabernacle, they remained in camp. Even when the cloud continued over the tabernacle many days, the people of Israel kept the charge of the Lord and did not set out. Sometimes the cloud was a few days over the tabernacle, and according to the command of the Lord, they remained in camp. Then according to the command of the Lord, they set out. And sometimes the cloud remained from evening until morning, and when the cloud lifted in the morning, they set out, or if it continued for a day and a night. When the cloud lifted, they set out. Whether it was two days or a month or a longer time that the cloud continued over the tabernacle, abiding there, the people of Israel remained in camp and did not set out, but when it lifted, they set out. At the command of the Lord, they camped, and at the command of the Lord, they set out. They kept the charge of the Lord at the command of the Lord by Moses. Now they celebrated this Feast of Booths to remember this story, what was happening. You see, in that time in the, the wilderness, they were not alone. The cloud of the Lord, the fire in the cloud represented God. That was, a, that was God's presence with them. And he was guiding them through the wilderness for all of this time. About a year after they had left Egypt, he began doing this. They celebrated the Feast of Booths to remember at least three things I'm going to give you this morning that also apply to us, and I think will give you more hope today. Those three things are God's provision in their lives and in our lives, His promises for them, for you, and His presence, and His presence. The first point this morning that I would like to make is this, God has always and will always provide for his children. God has always and will always provide for his children. If you're a parent here, many of you I know, throughout your life you've worked hard. Some of you have worked multiple jobs just to make sure that you're providing well for your household. As much as you want to provide for your family, it pales in comparison to God's desire to provide for you, his children. Right now, you might feel like you are without. You might not be experiencing abundance in your life. And because of that, it's starting to drain you of hope for a better tomorrow. God provided good things for His children. He always has, and He always will. The Feast of Booths reminded the children of Israel that God provided them a way out of bondage from Egypt. 
It reminds them of those wilderness days where he provided their ancestors manna to eat when they had nothing else. Exodus 16.35 says the people of Israel ate the manna 40 years till they, re- till they came to a habit- habitable land. They ate the manna till they came to the border of the land of Canaan. They, that God provided them food, sustenance to eat every single day. God provided for them protection from their enemies. Do you know that God still protects His children? Maybe you're feeling like you're under spiritual attack right now and you have forgotten about the indwelling Holy Spirit of God who will protect you. Go to Him when you need protection. He provided them water to drink throughout the desert. He provided them with shelter over their heads. Now let's get a little bit closer to home today. And this is a little bit of time or response. What has God provided you? Just shout out one or two things that God has provided for you in your life. A home. Food. Health. Work. Family. You know, we have all of these things, but sometimes we don't think about what God has provided us with. Instead, we think about those things that we don't have that we want. You see, that little change in outlook of our life can provide hope or can take hope away. God loves you. Not just you, the church, you as an individual. If you have accepted Jesus to be your Lord and Savior, you are a child of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. The God who has cattle on a thousand hills, whatever it is you are wanting right now, He has it. He loves you, and He wants to provide for you according to His purposes. And that last part's important. But He wants to provide for you. You know that song, Count Your Blessings, Count Them One by One? If you, start, if you stop to think about how God has blessed you in your life and has provided for you, what that will do is that's going to give you more hope for a better tomorrow. Each and every one of you need hope for a better tomorrow. We all do. We all do. God has always and will always provide for His children. When we spend time we spend that time remembering how God has provided for us in the past and how He has provided for His children. It gives us hope that He will continue to provide for us in our future. God has always and will always provide for His children. Secondly, God keeps His promises. Up until about the middle of this month, for about two months straight, my emails were just completely slammed by from politicians. Anybody else? Where did you get my email? Is what I want to know. Social media, TV commercials, everywhere you looked for at least a couple months' time, you heard promise after promise after promise. And we've all been cynical because you know where I'm heading already. We've all been, we've grown cynical because why? We've seen it happen over and over and over again. <clears throat> excuse me, those politicians that we like, 
They don't follow through with their promises. Those politicians that we don't like, thankfully, they don't follow through with their promises. And because of that, we've grown, we've grown used to being lied to. And I don't know about you, but it gets super frustrating. We, we turn on the news and you can pick the flavor that you want by the channel you turn on. And we know that there's going to be incredible bias. Is anybody else sick of watching news because they know the bias is there? Whether it's a bias you agree with or don't, we know the bias is there. We've grown used to being lied to. But friends, listen to me this morning. God keeps his promises. God keeps his promises. That's why it doesn't really... Well, I better not go into that. I was going to go political, but I better not. Here's what I'm going to tell you. If you're curious of my, my political aspirations or what I want to see happen, until Jesus sits on the throne as the perfect king of this world, it's going to be messed up. There's my political commercial for you today. The Feast of Booths would have reminded the children of Israel that they were while they were wandering in the desert, that in the end, their ancestors inherited the land that God had promised. He delivered what he said he would deliver. God keeps his promises. In a world that seems to have trouble remaining honest about anything, God keeps his promises. Joshua 23, 14 says this, And now I am about to go the way of all the earth. And you know in your hearts and souls, all of you, that not one word uh, has failed of all the good things that the Lord your God promised concerning you what's joshua doing here he's giving the children of israel hope in their situation based on the history of god keeping his word and because god has always kept his word we can believe and know that he always will keep his word need some hope for your life let's remember some of god's promises for his children that we see throughout scripture God has a plan for you, Jeremiah 29, 11, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. How about giving you strength, Isaiah 41, 10, Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Now, these specific texts I'm, I'm, I'm speaking on, they, they had a, a specific context to which the author was writing to, but these are principles that, can kind of, that go on and they um, apply to us today. He will keep his promises and he will love you, Deuteronomy 7, 9. Know therefore that the Lord your God is God, the faithful God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments to a thousand generations. God has always kept his promises, and he always will. He promises to make good from whatever it is you are going through right now. I love this verse, Romans 8, 28. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. We have a hope for a better tomorrow. We also see in Scripture that God promises to return, Hebrews 9, 28. So Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly awaiting for him. Our God has always kept his promises, and he always will. This mess that we see this world in, we have hope for a better tomorrow if we are in Christ. Because our God always keeps his promises. What promises of God do you need to remember? 
and rely on right now in order to have hope in your life. Think about those things. Think about those things. The third point is this. The ultimate source of hope is God's presence. The ultimate source of hope is God's presence. Have you ever been lost when you were a child and felt just terrified like the world was coming to an end? Now, don't make fun of me for this, but when I was a little kid, I got lost in the Detroit Zoo. I'm not going to look at Drew because I already know the jokes that are coming. Yes, I know it was easy to misplace me there, but I got lost in the Detroit Zoo. I was probably only four or five years old. As a parent now, I think, oh my goodness, what a terrifying situation. But there was this nice man, this guy who was a security guard. I, I, he must have noticed. I don't know if I went up to him or he noticed me and that I wasn't with an adult and I was getting panicked and scared. And he put me on his bicycle. This, is, this was a different era. They didn't put a, a helmet on me or whatever. They put me on his, my, his bicycle and rode me to this little guard shack. And in this guard shack, he, he just starts talking to me. As, as now I know he's looking for whoever, whatever adult's responsible for me. And pretty quickly... In the company of this guy, I realized I was going to be okay. The panic left. I knew that he had it under control. Nothing that I was going to do to get myself out of that situation. Of course, I didn't think that deeply back then. But nothing I could have done to get myself out of that situation. I wouldn't leave and go find my way back to the adults responsible for him. It was a babysitter. I, I hope my parents fired her after this. But <laughs> being in that man's presence gave me confidence and hope that things were going to be okay. He was a fallible man, probably made lots of mistakes. We serve a perfect God, and his presence in our lives should give us incredible amounts of hope for tomorrow. God's presence in our lives is the ultimate source of hope. The Feast of Booths would have reminded the children of Israel that God was with them, again in Numbers 9, this time 15 and 16, on the day that the tabernacle was set up, the cloud covered the tabernacle, the tent of the testimony, and in evening it was over the tabernacle like the appearance of fire until the morning. So it was, was always. The cloud covered it by day and the appearance of fire by night. Now I want you to put yourselves in the shoes of the children of Israel for a moment. You have left your home. Now yes, you have left slavery and bondage in Egypt, but now everything is new. All of the things that you had in your past, it's all gone. Everything is new, it's different. You're wandering in the wilderness. Can you imagine the hope it must have given them as they looked above the tabernacle and saw the presence of God in their midst? It's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. Right now in the middle of your wilderness, you need to look to God. He sent the Comforter, the Holy Spirit, to come and dwell His children. You need to look towards the presence of God in your wilderness wanderings and have hope that He knows what He is doing and has a way out. There is simply nothing that could give us more hope than the presence of God. Psalm 27.4 One thing I have I asked of the Lord that will, I, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in His temple. The incarnation of Jesus, friends, it means that he came and he dwelt with us. John 1.14, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory. Glory is of the only Son from the Father, full of grace 
and truth. This word dwelt here, it means he pitched his tent with humanity. And here is our connection to the Feast of Booths. But guys, real quickly, we celebrate Christmas because Jesus came and he dwelt with man. I can't think of anything that gives us more hope than that. Matthew 1.23, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. God with us. He came and dwelt. He pitched his tent. He tabernacled with man. And while the Jews would look back to the time wandering in the wilderness and the provision and the protection and all those things from God, that tenting, that week of tenting would point to, and they wouldn't see it then, but they would point to Jesus, God coming and being in their presence and tabernacling with man. What an incredible promise that we have the presence of God in our lives. Nothing can give us more hope than that. I'm going to add, invite the band to join me back on stage. And while I do that, I'm also going to ask the deacons to come forward and prepare our communion this morning. Three things that the Feast of Booths reminded the children of Israel of. God's provision, His promises, and His presence. God's presence is something that we celebrate when we take communion together. By the way, before we set out the uh, elements, I want you to know if you're, whether you're a Berean or not, we have open communion here, which means if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you are welcome to take with us. If you are not a follower of Christ, we just ask that you let the plates pass you by. They'll go ahead and start passing them out. Uh, also, just need to tell you that if you are gluten-free, if you just raise your hand, we have somebody or we'll have somebody with gluten-free uh, elements as well. We have some people upstairs in the balcony. So when Don, when somebody sees Don, ushers, oh, there you are. Don, we have some upstairs as well in the balcony. Anybody down here? Raise your hand so we can get you. All right. You're going to have to put your hand back up when Don comes upstairs. Communion is all about communing, being together. It's something we take as a group, and today we get to take as families in some cases. It reminds us that God came and dwelt among us, that God became man, that he sent his son Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us, that he tabernacled with us. All of these feasts, these seven feasts that the Jews still today observe in one way or another, they all pointed to Jesus who came to fulfill them. God with us, Emmanuel. But we can't talk about the birth of Christ or God's presence or God dwelling with man without talking about the death of Christ. That he came with purpose. And friends, that purpose was to bring salvation to you. That purpose was to come and to die for our sins. But death did not win. That Jesus bore the sins of man and then had victory over sin and over death as he was raised again. And we take this, the Lord's Supper, together, awaiting his return. Nothing will give us more hope than the presence of God. Nothing will give us more hope than the presence of God. As they're passing out the elements, I want to take just a moment to 
reflect and observe in our lives? Is there anything in your life that is keeping you from another follower of Jesus or keeping you from growing in Christ? I want to encourage you to give those things to God. Perhaps right now you've come in lacking hope for a better tomorrow. We're going to have just a couple of quiet moments. I want you to give those things to God and ask Him to give you hope for a better tomorrow. Dear Heavenly Father, God, we thank you. We thank you for all of the truths in your word that give us hope. Hope for a better tomorrow. God, we need you in our lives. We need your direction. We even need your correction. God, we thank you for those good things that you give us, including your correction your provision, your presence. The fact that you are a trustworthy God, that you will do what you say you will do. And we thank you for the broken body and the shed blood on behalf of our sins. 1 Corinthians eleven twenty three through 26. For I received from the Lord what I also deliver to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup after supper saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me, for as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. God, thank you for that promise that while we do this, while we remember your sacrifice, we do this knowing that one day there will be a great feast and we'll be in your presence and we will remain there for eternity. We love you and praise you for the great hope that we have in Jesus. In his name, amen.